Fathers, we're gathered here together this day. It's a beautiful day that you've given us. And I pray that right now you energize our hearts and our minds to worship you because that's what we want to do. We are here to worship you and to give you praise and honor and glory for who you are and what you've done for us. And so, Father, right now, I pray that our hearts are laid bare and open and that you send in your Holy Spirit so that we can understand something that was written 2,500 years ago is so important to us today because your word is alive. It's powerful. It's ever-changing and growing. And it's just as viable to us today as it was then, Father. Let's see what you have in store for us from your word. And Father, as we do, may we worship you. We are here to give you that honor and glory and then to learn. And Father, we pray that we are nourished now by your word and that your Holy Spirit will fill us with all understanding and help us as we do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We're going to change up a little bit this morning. We've done a lot of lessons on like some end times, and then we did some salvation things. And, and last week we even learned the gospel from a deck of cards. And so this week it was like, you know, I was just moved to go back to the old, old stories. Let's... let's uh, Let's keep this thing exciting, let's keep it rolling, and let's learn what God has in store out of the book of 2 Kings chapter 5, if you want to turn there to follow along. If not, I'll, I'll have it up on the top, but it's old, old story about a man named Lep, uh, Naaman who had leprosy, Naaman the leper. And uh, as we get there and read together, we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 5 of 2 Kings, and it goes like this. Now Naaman, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria, and he was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given a victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but Naaman was a leper. The Syrians had gone out on raids, and they had brought back captive this young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. Well, Naaman went in and he told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. And then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed, and he took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel from the king of Syria, which said, Be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant to you that you might heal him of his leprosy. <laughs> and it happened that when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes. And he said, am I God that I can kill or that I can make alive? That this man would send me this letter and tell him to heal this man of leprosy? Therefore, and he's saying this to his people around him, consider and see why does he seek a quarrel with me? Because he knows if he can't do it, it's going to be trouble. So he says, why is he seeking a quarrel with me? But then so it was that when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had tore his clothes, he, uh, 
he sent to the king and said, Why did you tear your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet and a God in Israel. And Naaman went, and his horses and his chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. He sent his servant out. And he said to him, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh is going to be restored, and you will be clean. But Naaman, Naaman didn't like what he heard, and he became furious, and he went away, and he said, Indeed, I had said to myself when I came here, he's surely going to come out to me. And he's going to stand and he's going to call on the name of the Lord his God. And he's going to put his hand over that leprosy that I have. And he's going to to make a big to-do over it. And then when he does, he will heal the leprosy. That's what I thought. Are not, but he's told me to go to this river. Are not the Arbana and the Farpar River over in Damascus in our country? Is that much better than all the waters that are here in Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and he went away in a rage. And when his rage had subsided a little bit, his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, now if that prophet had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. How much more then when he just says to you something simple, wash and be clean? So with that, He went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned then to the man of God, and he he and all of his aides, and they came and stood before him, and they said, Indeed, now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. And therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but Elisha refused. So Naaman said, If not then, please let your servant be given something. And this is what he asked for. He said, Can I have two mule loads of dirt, of earth? That I might be able to take back. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods. But only to the Lord. Yet in this thing. And now he's going to make another request. May the Lord pardon your servant. Because when my master the king goes into the temple of Ramon. To worship there. And he leans on my hand. And I have to bow down in the temple of Ramon. When I bow down, may the Lord pardon your service, your servant in this. Elisha said to him, go in peace. Shalom. So he departed him a short distance. Wow. Is that not a great story? Let's break this down. I'm going to, I'm going to give it. Now I'm going to wait till the end to tell you the, the kicker here. All right. <laughs> Verse 1, let's go back up the top and let's start tearing this apart. What's God want for us out of this? What's he saying to you and I 2,500, 2,700 years later? He says this, Naaman was the commander or the captain 
of the army of the king of Syria. That word commander or captain is a word that means like a prince, like one of the royalties in the king's palace. He was one of those royalties there, people of, of high esteem and power. And not only just himself, but look at what it says, not only before the people, but it says that he was also lifted up before the king. And it means the king also esteemed him highly. Now, there's a lot of people that the crowd and the people of the community could esteem highly. But when the king also lifts you up and esteems you highly, this is a great man. This is a guy who is well known and really well thought of in his home country. And the word of God says not only that, that he was a valiant man. It's a Hebrew phrase that I love. It's Gibur Chayil. <laughs> Gibur Chayil is what this man was. And what that really means is noble, valiant, integrity of not only who you are, but in what you've done. It, this what, reason I love this phrase, because I first heard it when I was studying David. And whenever it was told to Saul that there is a valiant young man that can come and serve you. He is a Gabor Kail, and his name is David. David was God's Gabor Kail. He was his valiant man, not only in war, but in who he was because he always repented and returned a humble heart back to God and asked for forgiveness of anything he'd done. And that's why he was also Gabor Kail. And that's what it says about this man. And he was a, a Borkayo, but verse 1 ends with something else after this grand picture that's been given to us of Naaman. And then it says, but he was a leper. But is a conjunction of contrast. So contrasted to all of this is but he's a leper. Wow. And then we find a very interesting phrase stuck in between all these two that I skipped over till now. Here's why he was also a great man. Listen to this. Did you realize this? It says in the middle of verse 1, Because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Now wait a minute. They've got the temple Ramon and they serve the God of storms we're going to see that again later but but this says that the lord god of israel gave unto this man a great victory for syria and that is one of the reasons why the king held him up in such honor and he was gibor kail he was that valiant warrior what does that mean well i did some digging now you can hold the place here and turn to first kings 22 if you want to or you can just follow along with me but it says this I want you to see what happened and why it says the Lord gave unto him a great victory so what we have in 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 first Kings 22 there's been some peace in the land in verse 1 it says for about three years and some things are going on and here we have this war that starts to go on he's God does not like the king of Israel because his name is Ahab. And Ahab has done some evil things. And so now the time has come 
for Ahab to go and a new king to be in his place. And so a war is going to break out, but the king of Syria tells his commanders, and you'll find if you read down through there, and it's on our Berean chapters, and that's why I wanted you to read them. He had told, he had 32 of these princes, of these captains, like what Naaman was. He had 32 of them. And he told them, I only want the king of Israel. And I want him alive if you can. And so they go out and the king of Israel didn't listen to the prophet. You see, he surrounded himself with like 400 prophets that told him what he wants to hear. A lot of people are like that. You know, they want to hear what sounds good to them. And so he had only surrounded himself with advice from people that tells him what he wants to hear and makes him to appear really great and that God is, is on your side. And yeah, go for it. it one, of the, one of those prophets even made himself a little headdress with horns on it. And he come out and he said, this is what God says. God says that you can go after the king of Syria and that he, you are going to gore their army like a bull would gore a person. <laughs> the king of Jerusalem was with him also. And the king of Jerusalem said, is there any more prophets around here? He said, oh, there's one. There's one prophet. His name's Micaiah. Micaiah and he said, but I don't like him. He always tells me bad things. He always tells me the things that I don't want to hear. And But the king of Jerusalem, of Judah, says, well, bring him in. I want to hear what he has to say. So they brought him in, and as they did, the servants of the king said this to him. Hey, all the other prophets of God are telling him what a good guy he is. And how that he's going to read a great victory here in this. You need to do the same. Stay on the same page with all of us. You know what Micaiah said? He goes, I'm only going to tell him what the God says. I'm going to give him what the word of God says and not what he wants to hear. But if it's something good, he'll hear it. But if not, he's going to hear what God has to say. And he brings him in. And he says, I wouldn't do that if I was you. And he sets him before the king. And they look at him and says, speak. And uh, Micaiah just goes, go ahead and go to battle like they said. And, and you'll be blessed and everything's fine. <laughs> Ahab turns to the king of Judah and says, see, I told you. He doesn't like me. He's just, he's just doing that. He's making fun of me. And so they said, speak the truth. He goes, okay, you want the truth? I'll tell you the truth. Truth is, your time's up. God's mad at you. You had a chance to do away with these guys and you didn't do it. So the time has come for you to be gone. Well, the dude that had wore the little headdress and said you're going to gore him like that comes over and he pops Micaiah in the mouth. And he says, how about that for a prophecy, buddy? He said, you're not going along with the, the show here. So he says, We're, you're going to jail. They, they sent him back with only bread and water. And before he left, though, Micaiah says, let me tell you. He says, you're not going to come back from this. If you come back, then I'm not a man of God. And, I, and my, his word was not in, in me. And they didn't like hearing that, and they shipped him off. And so now we have to where we're coming up now in this, in 1 Kings 22 to verse 31. And he says that, uh, I got to find where I was at. Verse 31 tells us, he said, there's the 32 captains, your mission, take out the king of Israel. 
The king of Judah is going to be with him. And you know what he does? Since he knows that he's the target, that God has targeted him, he said, I'm not going to dress in king's clothes. I want you to dress in king's clothes. And I want you to go out there and be the target and, and not me. And they do that. And they start chasing him around and, and they realize that wasn't the king of Israel. Then look what verse 34 says. A certain one of those captains, whew, he drew his bow at random and he struck the king of Israel right between the joints of the armor. King Ahab died that day as the prophet of God had said. Notice the emphasis in our text of the captains. And a certain captain, God guided his arrow between the hinges of the armor so that it struck him and killed him. Now we go back to our story. 2 Kings chapter 5. And armed with all of this history of what's going on, verse 1 says, What? Naaman. The captain of the army of Syria was great and lifted up because why? The Lord God by him had wrought a great victory for Syria. So who is the captain who fired the arrow that took the king out? Naaman. Naaman is the great man. He is a legendary hero. He is the one that even the king says, wow, we've... We've got to honor this. The Lord give deliverance and victory unto Syria by Naaman. And he's the captain that drew the bow and the aerial. He is the Gabor Kail. He is revered by his troops. I mean, when he walks on, the troops are like, attention and ready. And what do you need me to do? I'm jumping to it. He commanded all of this of the king's army. But, our conjunction of contrasts. But. Naaman was a leper. Mm. You see, he was all of that to the people and to everyone that's around about him. But at night, when he comes home and he sits there in that oil light of his house and he has to start removing all of that regalia, the, the headdress of the captain of the army that's bright and shows who he is. And he lays his sword and his shield. And his, takes off his armor. When he takes that armor off. What's inside gets bared to the outside. Naaman is a leper. Something deep down that he doesn't want to share with anyone else. I can relate because I'm a sinner. And you know. We all put on our armor, don't we, when we go out? We all put on our face and our armor and we try to be somebody that people will like and that people will respect. But the truth is, I'm just a bag of flesh and bones. I am fallen flesh and bones with... You remember that old song... She's a hank of hair and a bag of bones or something like that. I ain't even got a hank of hair. <laughs> I'm just a bag of bones. I'm flesh. And when you peel that back and you say your prayers at night, 
you realize that's who you are. Naaman is a leper and he doesn't want his men who stand at attention to know because who wants to be around a leper? You don't want leprosy. You don't want that contagious disease. So he hides it well. And that's why the Lord has put this in his word to remind us that underneath it all, Naaman, no matter who he was and what he had done, Naaman was now a leper. Well, that's some food for thought. On the outside, he looks pretty solid and battle ready, but on the inside, he's fallen apart, isn't he? And he's got some worries and he's got some issues and he's got a problem. And the problem in, in real life is spiritual and it's called sin. And it's a problem that we need the blood of Christ to cover over with his armor and put on the armor of God over the top of us. But now he has authority over the soldiers and the servants. Here's another thought. But he doesn't even have authority over his own body. I mean, he commands men and he commands nations, but he can't even have the authority of what his own body is doing because that comes from the Lord himself. And uh, we, he often wondered, how can I be so great and mighty, valiant and noble, yet so weak and frail at the same time? And then we have that but, and it's a contrast of what we are inwardly versus what we are outwardly is what's going on here. And... In his day, he didn't have what we have. He didn't have air conditioning, doctors, hospitals, rehabilitation places. He had dirty, hot living conditions with armor rubbing that raw as he is trying to go about his business and not let on what's happened. He's painfully removing that armor and the oil of his home at night before he goes to bed. And then we have verse 2. We have something else being drawn in here. Another character. Verse 2 says. The Syrians had gone on a lot of raids. And had brought back captive out of the land of Israel. A young maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. So this young lady. She's probably very young. Probably in her mid-teens. They've brought her back, and she is a captive. Now, she's our second character here, and I want you to think about her situation. We've just seen Naaman's, but what about this young maiden's? What's her situation? Well, first thing we find out, she's been captured. She's a POW, isn't she? She's been captured out of Israel, taken from her home, from her family, from her God, and everything that she knows about, and she has been forcefully uprooted, taken captive, and it says that she stands panim before the face of this woman every day to serve her now. She is in her presence as a slave girl all the time. I want you guys to think about your children. Some of you have daughters about that age. How would you like it? If someone comes into the United States, rips them from your grasp and takes them over to a land that's pagan, foreign gods, and you don't know what's happening, 
But think about this young lady. She's been uprooted from everything that she knows, everything that she's safe from. That word for little maiden also means little as in insignificant, unimportant. So now we have another contrast, don't we? We got Gabor Kail, mighty, valiant, versus small, insignificant, unimportant. What also we have is she's waiting on Naaman's wife, and together the two of those start to come together in our story. She is there, and she begins with, his wife to see the condition of Naaman and he is getting worse and this leprosy is taken over and I want you to know that looks can be deceiving because Naaman is a great man because of what he did this little maiden's going to be a great woman because of who she knows and I want to tell you something who you know is going to out-trump what you do every time. If you know the Lord God and Jesus Christ is yours, that is more powerful than the man who commands the army. Who you know is way much more than what you can do. So every night he's doing this. She could say now, she watches this, and she could say, it's very unfair of what has happened to me. Why did God allow this to happen? Why did he bring me to this place and uproot me? And as she sees Naaman and his leprosy and the pain that he's getting ready to be in and he's going downhill, she could say, good. I hope you rot. I hope you just rot the flesh rots off your bones I hope everyone in this country does for what you're doing to me and my people but you know what character comes in all sizes don't it not only is it important who you know but it's what's on the inside because the other contrast that I'm seeing here with Naaman and this little girl is one is mighty and valiant on the outside, but he's a slave on the inside to something. But this little girl, she looks to everyone else to be a slave. But on the inside, she's free. And she's full of power. And she's full of honor and integrity. And I want you to know this. I don't know if she thought this or not, but think about it. She is right where God intended her to be. You know, how many times do we pray, Lord, I want to do your work. I want to be your servant. Put me where I need to be. Give me the opportunities. What happens when that's not what we thought we wanted? What happens if what God wanted you to be was over in Syria and not with your family, and it's over there being a maid servant to these people. She's where God wanted her to be. A lot of times I'd be bitter, but every time it might be where God just wanted me to be at this moment. So she looks around, and as he's doing this, she looks at 
The true test of character is what you do with the power that you've been given. I'm going to give you a scripture at the end from Proverbs that says the power of death and life is in the tongue. Words like the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power of death or life. So what is she going to do armed with her knowledge and the power of that with her tongue? What is she going to do? She doesn't curse him. She doesn't hope that all that has. She says that I wish to God that he was over in Samaria with the prophet of God who was over there because he could help him. He could help cure what you got going on inside. And I say, spiritually, amen. Because that's the same message we need to see, that whatever's going on on the inside, there's still a prophet. You know, the word of God says that, that Moses was a great prophet, but he said that the Lord God is going to raise up a prophet like unto me. And he's going to come and save you from your sins. So we've got a prophet that's still God's man who can save us from whatever's going on on the inside if we get armed with that knowledge of how to have him to remove and forgive my sins. She said, I'm going to tell him because you know what? I've heard this said once before. If you hold back on what you could do for God, God might hold back on what he can do for you. You know that? If you know to do good and doeth it not to him, it's what? Yeah. So if I hold back on what I know to do good and I don't do it, maybe God's not going to do what he could do for me as well in return. Another contrast, look at verse 3. She said unto her mistress, I would to God that my Lord were with the prophet in Samaria. He would recover him of this. She decided to tell Naaman's wife the power of the gift that she had within her words. She told him of what it was. God had placed her for this. There's going to be another contrast here. Let me tell you why. It's in, it's in your Berean chapters. It's in, in there in chapter 20 of 1 Kings, if you want to write that down. Because you see, during this time period, these folks thought that every nation has its God. They didn't believe in the one God. You know, the Jews come and they're like something completely different. There's one God. There's not this God, that God, that God. They all thought that the gods of their country made them strong and so their God was powerful and he was powerful in that land. Sometimes he might not... If you go into another land and get defeated, the idea was, was my God must not have been as powerful on their turf as their God is on their turf. The Egyptians had their gods. Ramon was the God over here in Syria. All of them had a God. He has wrought a great victory over Israel. He doesn't realize that it was the God of heaven. He thinks that it was by his God. And now you got a little girl who you've taken captive and proved that my God was more powerful over there, he thinks. And so you're telling me that I need to go over there to where I've already defeated them and that you've got a God that's more powerful than my God that I've been praying to and trying to get healed from this? She says, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot for him to have to swallow as that valiant man, isn't it? Because you know what we're dealing with all through this? Is pride. Isn't pride one of those things? It's the leprosy that gets underneath and we don't want to show it off. But 
He's this valiant man, and we got a humble girl who doesn't get prideful herself and wish the bad things, but she goes ahead and does the good. So here's another lesson in here is pride is the big key. Don't you remember when we read through there what name and said when Elisha told him to go dip seven times in the Jordan River? He got mad. And he said, I thought he'd come down and kind of almost like worship me and make a big deal over me and do all of this stuff. And then he wants me to go dip in a river. He didn't even come out. And then is there not rivers in Farpar and in Damascus that is a lot better than any river? Do you see the pride that's going on? Do you see the my God versus your God? You know, the God of this world... And the things that are in it tries to be more powerful and more alluring than the God of heaven and serving him. And he's got this battle going on with himself, with the world, with his position and with pride. And he's brought his men with him and all of this money to give. And Elisha says, I don't want any of that. You take off and go, but go dip seven times. His pride got busted. Here, the guy didn't even come out and talk to me and I got all my men Round here, and we're built up for like war. They're on their chariots and horses, and he doesn't even come out. His pride, he has to get lower and lower and lower before he can get healed of this leprosy, before he can give it up. So, but Naaman does. He humbles himself to the first step that he goes in before the king of Syria. You know, there's a scripture. In uh, James it says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I've got a little song. I might do that next week for you guys. I don't know. It's one of those little rounds. I'm going way off cue, Miss T. It's the same on there. Um, it, it, it goes like half the congregation versus the other. I have to go, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he and he will lift you up oh it sounds great whenever you're doing it back and forth like that and everyone's singing it and then you just kick it in with amazing grace how sweet the sound amazing grace how sweet the oh it's beautiful but anyway he humbled himself enough to go before the king of syria and i want you to look up at verse four what he says he went in unto the master and to the king of Syria, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. <laughs> the two most powerful people on the world's stage at the time, the king and the commander of Syria that's already overthrown the land right there, the two power players in the world scene is talking about the little girl who said thus and thus. Do you see how God keeps contrasting himself with the world and the things that's in it? She has the power. She has the knowledge. Not because of what she's done, but who she knows. And he said, thus and thus she said. Isn't that cool? And then they come up and he says, go. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to show. And, he, and the king gets all puffy now too. And he says, I'm going to write a letter. And I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff to give to him. And I'm going to write a letter to that king over there and said, you're my number one man and you're going to come over here and I want him to make sure that you get healed. And so he writes his letter and he signs it and puts the king's signet on it. And Naaman 
takes off and he rides over into Israel and my time is up. So this is the kicker that I had to said I was going to save for the end. This is at least two parts. I hope you all come back next week to hear the end. <laughs> to, to hear the end of what's going to happen with Naaman and over there with Elisha and, and all of the other things that goes on. How this applies to our life. But as our worship team comes on up and, and we get ready to go, let's, let's retrace and remember a few of these things so that we can apply them to our life this week. Let's add these things to our life this week, okay? As we reflect, first thing I see is that Naaman, I'm a lot like him and he's a lot like us, isn't it? I mean, I want to put on a front, but I got some things going on inside and underneath that needs to be taken care of. And it's something greater than what I can do and what anybody of this world can do. It takes the word of God. It takes Jesus Christ. It takes grace and mercy and forgiveness. If everyone knew he's a leper walking around like that, he wouldn't have any significance at all. And we try to hide that stuff in our life too. I'm not any different. I'm weak. We may have others convinced, just like Naaman did, about how good and strong we are. But when the armor comes off at night, reality sets in within us and we know the truth. I need the blood of Christ. I need to be cleansed each and every moment, every day, to stay in fellowship with Him. And if you haven't done that, please come up and do that today. Give yourself to Christ. Be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Today is the day. Lesson number two that I can take with me this week. What am I going to do with the power that's been given to me? Every one of us has the power to say something to somebody to bring them to Christ and to help them, even if it's only, won't you come to church with me Sunday or Wednesday and we'll have a good time, I promise. There's power in those words to bring people to the saving grace. What am I going to do? Again, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. It is. If you hold back on what you can do, maybe God's going to hold back on what he can do. The young girl told her mighty master, there is a prophet of God in Samaria. He would heal you of this leprosy. We need to tell folks that there is a prophet sent from God named Jesus Christ who died for you. And he can save you from the leprosy of sin that is ailing you. Lesson three. Whatever situation I'm in, it's probably for a reason. Either I've made the choice and put myself there, which now I have to rely on God's grace to get me out of that. Or God, by His grace, has placed me there because He knows what? He's confident I can handle it. If He put you there and not your decision, then He's confident that you have the ability through Him and His power to get you through it and to do His will in it. So, a lot of times I think God don't have so much confidence in me. But he does. He knows that he can bring you through because he knows his power. And he knows the power of his word and his ability to bring you through it. So, the that next thing I need to learn is to do that. I got to get rid of pride, though, and be humble and submissive to his will so that he can use me and lead me through that and then show me what he's wanting me to do where I am at this time. 
You know, that's what Joseph did in his situation. He didn't deserve any of that that happened to him. What about Daniel? He's the same thing. He got jerked up out of his place. What about Esther? God places all of these great people in his scripture to let us know that there is no catastrophe. There is no tragedy. There is nothing that I am not able to work together for your good to those who love the Lord. That I have put you in a place just like Esther for such a time as this. Lastly, I learned that it's way better to be a humble captive, free on the inside, little and insignificant, but yet power on the inside. That's way better than being powerful and mighty and all that on the outside, but inside I'm a mess. So, Armed with those four things to try to better my life and realization with this week, it shows me how much I need Christ and I need his word and I need his grace. And Father, as we pray and we close this out, I can't wait till next week to see what's going to happen and what, what we find out when Naaman takes all of this stuff and he goes over into your land and he starts talking with your prophet and what's going to become of everything and I can't wait to find out why he wanted two mule loads of earth and dirt. Wow, you've got some great things in store, Father. But you've got great things in store for every soul and individual that's here. We pray, Father, that these things that we have looked at today from your word are just as mighty and powerful and relevant in our lives today as it was when your Holy Spirit wrote it all those years ago. And we thank you, Father, for this example and illustration. And we pray that it builds our strength, our resiliency, and our trust and love to you so that we worship and glorify and honor you in everything we do. In Jesus' name.